they bow before your Before the Lamb of God and sing, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things, to you are all things, you deserve the glory. of you who, uh, who may not know me, if you're joining us uh, for the first time here in the sanctuary or online, my name is Joel Porter. I'm one of the elders here at Emmanuel. 
Um, before I get into anything, I just want to take a, a brief moment just to pray um, as a number of our church families um, have uh, taken ill over the past couple weeks, um, including Pastor Daniel. So let's just take a moment, bow our heads, and, and pray. Lord God, we, um, we thank you so much for being our healer, for being our provider, for, for being our ever-present help in time of need. Lord, I ask for the healing and restoration, full health for those of us among our congregation, among our families, among our community, among our nation, and across the face of the earth, Lord, that you will be our healer. Amen. All right. Um, on that note, uh, just a very brief update. Um, please be uh, keeping an eye on Facebook, but also our emailer um, through the week, our constant contact that comes out on Tuesday, um, just for any updates about ministries that are happening here at Emmanuel. For the next week, we're going to be suspending all in-person activity just to play it safe. Um, so just keep an eye out on that. I think some of our prayer times, like our Wednesday night prayer, we're going to try and do on Zoom. Um, so just be on the lookout for that um, coming via email. All right. So it was on Wednesday, Wednesday morning, that Pastor Daniel had reached out to me asking if I would be able to preach today. Um, as he was still feeling ill, as it turned out, Pastor Jim and I had switched Sundays to lead worship. He was originally supposed to lead today. I was supposed to lead last week, but I was sick, so we switched. Today was my day, and I thought two things. Oh, no. I'm going to have to pull a Jim and do both. Welcome back, Derek. Thank you. The other thing I thought was, oh, no. This is a trial about how well I'm going to be ready to serve in season or out of season, right? I was thankful to have joined online last week while I was recovering to catch Pastor Jim's sermon on 2 Timothy 4. In case you missed it, head on over to emmanuelde.com sermons and give Jim's January 17th sermon titled, Be Prepared, a listen. Admittedly, I may have been a little underprepared for this particular trial, Perhaps I had not studied very well for this test. We'll see how well I do. <laughs> a few weeks ago, on December 27th, I had the honor and privilege to stand before you and deliver my first ever full-fledged sermon, um, not counting the uh, charge to the church when we installed Pastor Daniel several months ago. Um, but in my introduction, I had expressed that my hope was that I would not contribute to anybody's post-holiday blues. Um, and then I went on to say, well, we go on in the hope of Christ who gives us reason to celebrate his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his salvation every day. I mentioned at that time, that was not my sermon, but, sermon, but it could have been. Well, today, it is. So that brings us to um, our scripture reading, which... Um, uh, is on page 1196 if you're looking at your Bible in the pew. If you're looking at a device, just tap James. Um, it's in the New Testament. Um, so let's go ahead and read James 1, 1 through 4. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it, part, uh, consider it full joy, Pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Uh, that's from the NIV. I also like the New American Standard Version because some of the words are just a little bit different. Consider it all joy, my brethren, whether you encounter various trials, that sounds pretty much the same, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we're going to spend a lot of time focusing on verses 2 and 3, but I think it's important to understand the context behind this. 
And for that, we look at verse 1. Who is James? All right, what is James? When is James? What is James? So the book of James is actually one of the earliest letters or epistles to the churches at the time. The writer of this letter was a leader in the church in Jerusalem, was in fact James, Jesus' brother. It's debated whether or not he was James the Lesser, the apostle, but that is who James is. And we see this in Acts, uh, Acts 12 and Acts 15, where James is being uh, approached as the leader of the church and having to decide on certain doctrinal issues. So to who is James written? There were thriving Jewish Christian uh, communities in Rome, Alexandria, Cyprus, and cities in Greece and Asia Minor. So this was a letter to the churches. When is James? James was written probably before A.D. 50. Um, This was after Stephen was martyred, the Apostle Stephen. You can look that up in Acts 7, starting verse 55. Um, Persecution increased, and Christians in Jerusalem were scattered throughout the Roman world. Some interesting notes on that, and this is kind of like, just kind of for your own information, um, that at that time that Stephen was martyred in Jerusalem, who watched over that? Well, it was Saul. Saul, who later had his own Damascus Road experience, well, the Damascus Road experience, and later became Paul, who wrote so much And we learn so much about theology and faith from his radical transformation. So why? Why do we have this letter? Because the early believers did not have the support of established churches. They didn't have an umbrella under which they could be uh, supported. James wrote to them as a concerned leader to encourage them in their faith during those difficult times. All right, so we've set the stage. This is the type of persecution, like that persecuted church that James was kind of speaking to. But we can use this for any trials, any kinds of tests that we're going through. So let's jump into verses 2 and 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, we can condense those two verses down to five words, and it'll make sense. Joy whenever trials produce perseverance. If you don't remember anything from these couple verses, remember those five words. Joy whenever trials produce perseverance. So I want to give a couple definitions here. Let's define perseverance. This is, this, is, this is a word that not many people like to really talk about because persevering is hardly fun. <laughs> it's, it's hardly enjoyable. But yet James is calling us to have joy in these times that are producing perseverance. So let's unpack this a little bit. So what does persevere mean? I took this from the Mer- Merriam-Webster Dictionary. To persist in a state, enterprise, or undertaking in spite of counter influences, opposition, or discouragement. When I read that, I was actually reminded of a old U.S. naval vessel known as the USS Constitution. Here's a fun fact. It was actually, it is the oldest still afloat frigate in the U.S. Navy, which is kind of cool. It was launched in 1797. It was involved in several wars, including the War of 1812, where it earned the nickname Old Ironsides. Why would a wooden ship get a nickname of Old Ironsides? Well, it was because as the uh, British vessels were bombarding it with cannonballs, the cannonballs just bounced off the sides of this mighty ship. So it persisted in a state of opposition. Ever feel like sometimes you're just getting bombarded by cannonballs? <laughs> Some other translations say, like I mentioned from the NASB, um, the, use the word endurance here, which means to undergo, especially without giving in, to regard with acceptance or tolerance. 
Other translations, New King James, New King James Version uses the word patience here. Anybody uh, enjoy being patient? Bearing pains or trials calmly or without complaint. Steadfast despite opposition, difficulty, or adversity. See, these words, although they be different in different translations, have a lot of the same meaning. It means to, to stand firm no matter what's getting slung at you. So this caused me to think, are we born with an innate ability to endure? Barring any kind of survival instincts that we may have, are we born with that innate ability to persevere or be patient? Anybody here a parent or have been a parent? Are those children born with patience? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Consider that newborn baby incapable of being patient, crying when there is a need for food, sleep, changing, etc. This child hasn't learned patience yet. Anybody know what age patience actually becomes an acquired, you know? <laughs> Consider a marathon runner. I don't think anybody has just woken up one day and said, I think I'm going to run a marathon today, and then just goes and busts out 26.2 miles. No, they've got to build up that endurance. They've got to start small and say, okay, I'm going to run a mile today, and it's going to take me several months possibly, uh, depending on how well you are keeping at it. I mean, that's the thing with endurance. That's the thing with persevering is that you've got to keep at it. You can't just say, all right, well, I did my one mile. I'm good. It took me like 12 minutes. Ah, you've got to be constantly conditioning yourself. You've got to be constantly training. You've got to constantly be putting yourself through those trials so that you can build that endurance. When I was a kid, I played baseball, and I used that as the excuse as to why I could not run long distances. <laughs> I played baseball. I only had to run 90 feet at a time. Unless you hit a home run, and even then, you're, you're walking, you're strutting. You're like, yeah, look what I did. Um, but the bottom line is, is that these are acquired virtues. Endurance, perseverance, patience. It has to be earned. It's a merit badge of having survived trials and testing your faith. All right, enough about that. Let's talk about the word produce. The definition, to give being, form, or shape to. Sounds a lot like what God did in Genesis when he formed the heavens and the earth. He gave shape to it. To compose, create, or bring out by intellectual or physical effort. Okay, so endurance is produced, but by what? It's by your trials. Trials are, and this is a def definition directly actually from the, uh, from the dictionary, a test of faith. Patience or stamina through subjection to suffering or temptation. At the risk of sounding maudlin here, I'm going to say that there are two types of people. Those who have had trials and those who haven't yet. Because the next word we need to look at, see I'm working backwards here. The next word we need to look at is the word whenever. At any or every time. It's the combination of two words, when and ever, at what time and ever, always. It's going to happen. It's not a matter of if, but when. Trials and testing of your faith is not a possibility, but a certainty. They happen at any time, with or without advanced knowledge. Disregarding your agenda Four weeks ago, I talked about my agenda. And is my agenda, am I willing to let my agenda, you know, get, uh, get changed for me for the sake of God and his kingdom? Trials don't ask for your permission. So how can one be adequately prepared? That's a very loaded question, and we could spend days talking about that. But we're focusing on James 2 here, joy. And this is where it starts getting fun. 
Joy, uh, by definition, uh, according to the dictionary, is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires, delight, a state of happiness or felicity, or bliss. I'm not so sure I agree with that because we've got some biblical definitions of joy that I'm going to get into in just a minute. Joy is a gift from God. It is also a choice. As it says in James 2 at the beginning, consider it pure joy. James is asking you to consider it joy. We cannot choose our trials. We cannot choose our tests. Tests are usually administered by a teacher. See, there's something that we're supposed to learn from this trial that we're in. There's something that we're supposed to take away from this. We don't usually have it in us to just flip the switch and choose to endure, to persevere, or to have patience. So I'm going to share with you a personal story about a time that I was having to endure. Granted, the trial, I'm going to explain it, and you're going to say, that sounds kind of trivial. But hey, a trial is a trial no matter how big or how small. And we have to choose joy in that trial, no matter what it is. So I'm going to take you back about 10 years, and I was between jobs. I had just recently left my professional career to pursue finishing my bachelor's degree in marketing that I am yet to use. Um, That's another story for another day. Um, So I had found work working for a general contractor. I was a laborer. And I was learning a lot of great stuff, not just how to swing a hammer, but um, learning carpentry and electrical work and plumbing work. And this was all really cool stuff, stuff that I still use today. Um, But, uh, you know, it wasn't wasn't quite where I had expected or planned my professional career to go. Mind you, when I say this was 10 years ago, to go back and finish my degree, I was on like year six of my second year of college. I kind of took this, <laughs> took the long road here. Um, so I'm about 26 years old. I'm working part-time. I'm going back to school full-time to earn my degree. And, and you know, th- this one day, all of this just started kind of colliding. You know when all of those little things just start colliding and you're like, I've got to rethink everything, right? So we, we, were, we were building, we were doing a finished basement, right? And um, this particular day, I was, I was solo. The homeowners weren't there. The folks I was working with weren't there. It was just me. Sometimes those are the best and worst times <laughs> is when you are alone with only your thoughts. But see, this particular day, we we had just finished putting up drywall, and and we had spackled all the seams, we had covered over all of the screw heads, and and, um, had gone through and sanded everything, which, by the way, one of the things that I've learned from working with drywall is I hate spackle and I hate sanding, and I will pay anybody any amount of money to do that. (laughs) See, there are things you can learn in your trials. Anyway. Um, so we had finished all of that, and, and you know, as, as it goes, like, you finish doing all of that, and you've gotten this as best as you can at that moment. So then the homeowner does exactly what we would hope, is to go through and say, hey, there's a couple spots that I need you to touch up. Totally cool. It's exactly what we should be doing. After we finish something, we take a step back. We go back with it with a fresh set of eyes and say, okay, here's some things that we need to fix. So I walk down into this basement, And all four walls, little yellow post-it notes everywhere of things that needed to be fixed. And I look at this, and like my heart sank, and I was like, oh, that's okay. Because this is what we're here to do. We're here to do that that good job. We're here to have a finished uh, product. So I, you know, I mix up my spackle, and I'm going through, and I look, and I start at one corner, and I look at this post-it note, and it, you know, just says streak here. Okay, cool. Pull the post-it note off, and I realize my trash can's on the other side of the room, and I'm not going to haul the trash can around with me. So I was just like, eh, it's a post-it note, stuck it to my shirt. 
It's a good convenient spot to put it. I wasn't going to just leave it in a heap on the floor. So I'm going through and I'm pulling these post notes. And note, each every every note has the has the like a description of what was wrong. There's a pinhole here. There's a you know there's a streak here. This needs to be sanded and whatnot. So it was like every single imperfection that we had left. This is where the story gets good. Is after about ten minutes of plucking a post-it note off of the wall, I had noticed that I had about 20 or 30 post-it notes on my shirt. Now, let me tell you what was going on in my head through this whole time. Why wasn't I a better student? Why didn't I just stick to the plan? I could have been further along in my career at this point. As I've already expressed, this is my least favorite job. Sounds really trivial, I know, but it is where I was. I will admit, I was less mature then than I am today. I will be more mature 10 years from now than I am today. Um, I did not have any joy that day. I was focusing on everything that I had done wrong in my life that led up to that point that was not where I wanted to be. This is not what I had planned. This is not what was supposed to be happening. But after about 15 or 20 minutes of this, I looked down at my shirt, and there were 30 pieces of post-it note just attached to my shirt. And I tell you, it was almost audible. But I heard in my spirit the voice of God that said, Hey, Joel, my son bore the name of every one of your imperfections when he hung on the cross. And I tell you, this is why I'm so glad that my coworkers weren't there and the homeowners weren't there because I fell to my knees immediately and I wept because I realized in that moment that I was focusing on the wrong stuff. I was focusing on every potential thing that had gone wrong that led up to that point, but I forgot about the joy of the Lord. That is the joy that carries you through. That is the joy that prepares you for the trials. I tell you, my attitude changed a whole lot the rest of that day. Because yes, I was still doing the menial task. Yes, I was still doing that labor, but I was praising him in that trial. Not because I was being tested, not because I had to go through a hard thing, but because God is who God is and he deserves our praise at all times. And before I knew it, the day was over. The trial was done. The walls were perfect. (laughs) See, it doesn't matter what trial you're going through. God is bigger than it. Christ endured the greatest trial that we could ever know, that we could ever read about, that we could even begin to comprehend. God was bigger than that trial because that trial that he endured the cross and then overcame sin and death in three days was resurrected for your sake and for the sake of the kingdom of God. God was bigger than that trial. I'm going to quote VeggieTales. I can't believe I'm going to do this. God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla and the monsters on TV. Shall I sing it? All right, God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla or the monsters on TV. Oh, God is bigger than the boogeyman, and he's looking out for you and me. I'm going off script here. Because of what Christ endured and embraced, by the way, we're going to get to that in a minute, 
you don't have to face your giants. You don't have to fight the battle. We sang about it this morning. You don't fight the battle because Christ already did. He already overcame sin and death for you. He already slayed the giants. All you have to do is cast your cares and your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It's 1 Peter 5, 7. It all starts with joy. We can put this together with Romans 5, 3 through 5. I'm reading from the NASB, but not only that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, very similar to what we've read in James. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. See, we're not rejoicing because we're suffering. We rejoice in our suffering because of what God has done for us, because God is worthy. We sang about that this morning, too. God is worthy of it all. So choose joy. We get to choose how we get ready for the work each morning, so it's more than just putting on your happy face instead of your grumpy pants. Sometimes it's easy to choose joy. Sometimes you really don't like it. Sometimes it's really hard to choose joy because of things that you're going through. Um, But I actually want to read you some notes that I took. A few years ago, um, my wife and I, along with a few others from the church, we went out to Kansas City over New Year's for the One Thing Conference. If you're familiar with that, um, it is a week-long worship and prayer and teaching uh, put on by um, the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. I was in a breakout session, and it actually had to do with worship. And the question was raised, how do you worship when you just don't feel like it? Because sometimes you're just having that day and you're in a funk and you're like, I don't feel like doing this. Well, the answer that was given was, sometimes you need to sing and lift your hands simply because the Bible says so. Not because you feel it. It's more than a feeling. It's obedience. The other question was raised, like, well, how do you overcome that funk that you're in when you don't feel like praising, when everything just feels wrong and you're like, that's it, I'm going to call it quits for today. Well, he said, if you're feeling discouraged, sing or read scripture about encouragement. If you're feeling sad or dark, sing or read scripture about joy and light. You use the word of God that he has given us to overcome what you're feeling. Because what you're feeling is temporary, but the word of God is eternal. So what do we find joy in? I think I've already mentioned it. And I mentioned it four weeks ago. Like We can find happiness Um, from the fourth Thursday in November to January 1st. Because we've got Thanksgiving, we've got Christmas, we've got New Year's, an honorable mention for Valentine's Day. Um, But it's not always easy to find joy in these things, especially, as I mentioned, as the holiday blues kick in, when all the holidays that you've been using as your crutch for joy are over, what do we find joy in? Sometimes holidays can evoke painful memories from the past. See, this kind of happiness is unsustainable. Finding reasons to be joyful can be difficult amidst strife with family, work, the economy, etc. What can I find joy in? We find our joy in that which is sustainable. That which is everlasting. And where do we find that? We find it in Scripture, so let's read some Scripture. 
Psalm 4, verse 7. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. See, there's two kinds of joy being contrasted here. Inward joy that comes from knowing and trusting God versus just the happiness that comes as a result of pleasant circumstances because our circumstances are not always pleasant. Inward joy is steady as long as we trust God. Happiness is unpredictable. Inward joy defeats discouragement. Happiness can just be a band-aid. Inward joy is lasting. Happiness is temporary. Psalm 16, verses 8 through 9, first half of 9. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. We can feel joy in spite of our deepest troubles as we contemplate Christ daily. And we, and we yearn for his presence daily, we find contentment in that. As we understand the future he has for us, we will experience joy. So don't base your joy on circumstances, but on God. I'm going to skip ahead here because I know Pastor Daniel has a sermon series coming up on the Beatitudes. That's, you'll find that in Matthew 5, 3 through 12. I'm going to paraphrase them very quickly because what I really want to get to is verse 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who are gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The pure in heart, for they shall see God. The peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say kinds of evil against you because of me. But verse 12, this is where it all comes together. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. I love the word rejoice and verses about rejoicing. Philippians 4, 4 and 5, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Ultimate joy comes from Christ dwelling within us. Christ is near. And at his second coming, we will fully realize this ultimate joy. See, joy is so much more fun, isn't it? When you know what it is, when you know where it comes from and how to find it. And you realize that that is something that is going to carry you through. What does it carry you through to? It carries you through to verse 4. Hey, we're back at James again. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I've got some words here that I will admit that I, I, I took from another ta- pastor uh, by the name of P.J. Uh, Tobian. He's the pastor of Bethany Baptist Church in Bellflower, but he put it so well, I couldn't say it any better. So, I'm going to share this with you. You must allow, I'm sorry, endurance works maturity and completeness. You must allow endurance to complete its work in you. It's a divine obligation, as we've read in in James 1 through 4. Endurance works maturity and completeness. Try to get the full benefit of the endurance, not only some, don't cut it short. Maturity and completeness means you lack nothing. It's not saying that you are sufficient. You're not sufficient. That's if you thought that you were sufficient, if you were intended to face this trial alone and succeed, then we would have had no need for a Savior. But you lack nothing because you have access to everything and everything in Christ. What is maturity? We think the path to spiritual maturity is simply reading and prayer. Not so. This maturity is 
you being conformed to the image of Christ. That's Romans 8.29. The way you mature is by knowing the trial's purpose. Enduring it with as much joy as you can and preparing for the next trial to come at it with more, uh, next trial and come at it with more joy and greater and clearer perspective. I can share a couple experiences that I've had at work where, uh, you know, a few months ago I had endured a trial and I think I failed miserably, but I learned so much from it. This past week, I endured a similar trial, but what did I learn from the last one? I learned who to ask for for help. I knew what I was capable of, and I knew what I had to delegate. I knew who I could call in for help, and guess what? We got it done. But I didn't do it on my own. It wouldn't have happened had I not called in for help. Something else that I learned from general contracting when doing finished carpentry. Like, you're trying to get these angles so tight and nice, and you're like, well, if it's paint grade, do your best and caulk the rest. I think that's kind of what we're called to do, right? Is we're going to do our best in these trials, but we're going to lean on God to bring it to completion. Here's the next thing. The value of this maturity is far greater than the value of the absence of trial. See, I've said all of these words. You might be thinking, Joel, this would just be a whole lot easier if I didn't have to have a trial. It would, but what would that get you? Remember, you're not being asked to enjoy the trial. You're charged with being filled with joy through the trial. Not just joy in the Lord, as we've discussed, but joy in the spiritual maturity and completeness that the perseverance brings. God wants to make us mature and complete, not to keep us from all pain. Instead of complaining about our struggles, we should see them as opportunities for growth. Thank God for promising to see them as, uh, for promising to be with you in rough times. Ask him to help you solve your problems or to give you the strength to endure them. Then be patient. God will not leave you alone with your problems. He will stay close and help you. The only way you will truly consider trials a great joy is if you want God in all of his glory more than you want to get rid of your trial. I'm going to say that again. The only way you will truly consider trials a great joy is if you want God in all of his glory in your life, that you are after him like the psalmic deer pants after water. If you want that more than you want to be saved from the trial, that's what God's looking for. And if you want your trial gone more than you want God, then you will be unable to consider that trial a pure joy. The bottom line is that right now, whatever it is you're going through is not about you, it's about God. It's about bringing glory to God. It's about you leaning on God. Now, I'm going to wrap this all up and ask the worship team to come up. Um... I'm going to drive this home with Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and protector of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. See? The joy of the next steps in the kingdom of God, the joy of saving his people were greater than the trial, the horrific trial that he was about to endure. Despising the shame and has set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, in all of this, we just need to use Jesus as our model. 
Even in the garden of Gethsemane, he said to his father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. See, even then, in his prayer, moments before his trial, he even said, greater is God than the trial that I'm not so sure about. I don't want to say that, not so sure about it. He was sure about it. But even in that moment, he recognized that God and his sovereignty and his will was greater than skipping the trial. That's Matthew 26, 39. Jesus recognized that. The trial set before him was all about God, his glory, his mercy. And so he valued the completeness over the absence of trial. And this is what gives us cause to rejoice. And again I say, rejoice. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for the reason that we have to rejoice, the reasons that we have to give you praise. Lord, we thank you for um, being the foundation on which we build our house. Lord, I ask that as we go forth from here today, that you will remind us every moment, just as you reminded me in that time in that basement 10 years ago, how much joy we should have in our hearts because of your sovereignty, because of your plan, because of your purpose, because of your kingdom, because of your salvation. So Lord, help us to maintain an attitude of joy Build in us the joy that gets us through whatever trials we may face. In your name, amen. Let's rise to our feet. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, the Lord turn his face toward you.
Amen. Go in peace in Jesus' name.